Yeah, I remember being at Maryland, seven national championships in a row, and we we didn't win one after that for a while. And 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 how how terrible is that? And the athletic director came in and said, "What's wrong with you guys? You're not winning." And you know, that's life. You know, things turn mm-hmm. permanent. Things change. You're up, and then you're down. And what do you do with the down? That's what's important. And 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 then what do you do with the up? Do you really take it over the top? And then that even makes you more vulnerable because now you're going to go down, and now you're going to really feel a dip. And you know, it's like, yeah, you know, all these issues. Uh, I've been talking with my teens, especially the pros. They're a lot older. You know, they're in their late, their mid twenties, thirties, and 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 they love uh, looking at uh, these concepts because uh, they're affecting their family and, and their kids. You just heard some of my conversation with Dr. Jerry Lynch, who is more than arguably the greatest sports psychologist in the world. He is a coach and mentor to some of the greatest coaches and teams in sports. He supported coaches like Anson Dorrance at University of North Carolina uh, and Steve Kerr of the Golden State Warriors. In the past 30 years alone, he's been part of 54 Final Four and 36 national championships at the collegiate and professional levels. But really what was most exciting to me about this interview with Jerry wasn't his resume. It was knowing that I was going to spend time with someone who would make me laugh, he'd make me smile, and he'd make me feel valued. In the first part of our conversation with Jerry today, he's going to talk about how, as coaches, we can remove fear and we can become more authentic and more compassionate. Welcome to the Coaching Culture Podcast brought to you by Thrive on Challenge. I'm JP Nurbin, joined by my friend and co-host Nate Sanderson. Each week in about 30 minutes, we discuss important principles and strategies of transformational leadership. At Thrive on Challenge, we help coaches to raise the standards and strengthen the relationships in their program because we know this type of culture produces better leaders, better people, and better results. To learn more about how we can help you, go to thriveonchallenge.com, where you can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter and get the coaching notes to every episode of this podcast. I think I really would like to start today, Jerry, is just the way that you've supported coaches over the years. And you've obviously supported some phenomenal high-level coaches. And I think in the conversation around coaching and culture and character and leadership, so often it's external challenges that coaches face or that internal challenge sometimes of winning, you know, but I was curious from your perspective as a mentor and, you know, coach to coaches, what have you felt is the biggest internal struggle that you see coaches wrestle with throughout their season and throughout their, their careers? Fear. You know, one word, fear. And of course, I like, I like to look at words and I break them up. And when I break fear up, it becomes an acronym, false evidence appearing real. And uh, I think they have a lot of fear. I think, I think a lot of coaches would admit that uh, the insecurity comes from losing their job, uh, losing a game, losing a reputation, losing opportunities fear of, 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 of losing their team emotionally, uh, fear, of, uh, fear of not being able to, uh, not be able to be hired if they are fired. Uh, there's a lot of fear and a lot of our behaviors 
uh, are a reflection of that fear. So uh, if, for, for example, if a coach is afraid of losing the team, uh, they'll try to exert more control. And uh, it's kind of ironic, really, because uh, by asserting more control, your fear comes true. You do lose your team. There's more, there's more a tendency to want to break out. Uh, I like to, in, in the book, the, uh, the Competitive Buddha, I tell the story about the farmer who, and, and I might have said this at the conference, actually, but I, I love to talk about the farmers who, who worry and are afraid that their cows are going to leave, you know? So what they do is they build these tight fences, and this way the, the cows can't go anywhere. And, but what that does, it increases the tendency of the cows to want to break out because they're feeling tight and tense about the control, right? Uh, so so some, uh, the Buddha comes along and, and is passing through this farm country. The Buddha says to the farmer, if you are afraid of losing control, you have to move the fences back, which is totally counterintuitive. And he said, why? He said, because then they'll feel free to roam and they won't feel a need to leave. And uh, so I always encourage coaches to, uh, to watch what kind of rules and regulations they're making. The more rules you have, the more rules that can be broken. The more tight the, the, the followers feel, the, the athletes feel with all the rules, they feel uh, they're always looking over their shoulder and they're worried about what's going to happen next. And uh, to your point, JP, uh, I tend to see things as umbrellas and I, I, I like to see the big picture. And if I had to look at all of the coaches I've worked with, uh, though, let me start by saying this those who are successful have a very low, very low uh, indication, indicators of fear. They're not afraid. And when you're not afraid, you can be yourself. And, 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 and that's the other fear, fear of like, if I'm myself, maybe I'm not good enough, or maybe they won't like me. When indeed, great coaching is all about being yourself. I talked to Steve Kerr uh, about this issue because, you know, I'm always asking him, uh, you know, what, what makes it work for you? He said, you know, Jerry, I, I just, uh, I just don't have to worry about that. I'm not afraid of that. As long as I'm being myself, uh, it, it's going to be okay. I'm sure, JP, uh, Nate, you know, I'm, I'm sure you've seen this to be true. Uh, yeah, there's an interesting uh, description of Steve Kerr and Andre Iguodala's book that kind of speaks to exactly what you're talking about there, where he describes him, his first meeting with Kerr, and he says, you walk in the room and he says, uh, he is who he is. He is happy with who he is, and he won't let anything, any pressure, any criticism, any bad looks, any unfair press change him. You know, when I, I read that, I thought two things. You know, first of all, that, that almost seems like coaching nirvana when we can get to that place, you know, where we are, we are truly comfortable being who we are, regardless of any, you know, exterior perspective on that. And secondly, the fact that Igudala picked up on that that aspect of his authenticity more than anything else was the first thing that he describes about Kerr, I thought was a really powerful testimony to the impact that a coach that can find that place can have on an athlete just by being their true self. And, and you know, Nate, uh, I'm glad you picked up on that. And, and Igudala's book is, is spot on with that, that story. 
but as, as we all find out that, uh, y- you know, if we're, if, if we're not going to be ourselves, who are we going to be? It's hard to be someone you're not. And that's when things get really, really uh, strange, you know? Uh, like right now with you, uh, I don't, I, I want to connect my, my heart, my human heart with your human heart. And, and, and that's how I can be myself. But if I'm trying to connect my professional head with your professional head, we're, we're putting distance there. And, and, uh, and there's no connection. And uh, there's no way I can come up to you. There's no way I can be who you are. Uh, and there's no way we can be anybody else. Uh, in fact, uh, th- this idea of being somebody else, it doesn't work. And, and, and I didn't know that for all of my life. I mean, I tried to be somebody I wasn't many times. And I look back on those stories and it's embarrassing to think that I would even try to do that. Uh, when I'm doing a conference, like you guys attended the conference that John O'Sullivan and I with Way of Champions put on, uh, when, when I'm doing a conference, I often get the question, so Jerry, I'm here because I want to be more like Steve Kerr. And it's like, no, uh, you can't be more like Steve Kerr, but what I can do is I can help you to be more like yourself and I can give you the strategies that Steve uses, but you've got to be you. Because that's the power. And people don't buy who, what you do and what you say. They buy who you're being. And what, how easy is it to be yourself rather than try to be somebody else? And, and, and so I'm being me right now. And if, if, if my kids walked in, which they won't because I have a sign on the door. But I mean, it, it, if they walked in and, and they heard me and they listened to me, they wouldn't see the difference between this conversation we're having and a conversation we had last night in front of the fireplace together uh, about life or whatever we're talking about. Gosh, we can, we can really get, we, I mean, we can go into, how about authenticity, you know? And, and who do you respect in life? You tell me who you respect and I'm gonna tell you something about them before you even tell me. I'm gonna tell you they're authentic, they're genuine, they're vulnerable. They're vulnerable. I'm gonna tell you that about the people you respect and I don't know them. Because you respect them for those reasons. We all respect people who are being that way. You know, we might not want to be vulnerable ourselves. We're afraid of being vulnerable, but we admire it in everybody. How can we admire something in everybody and yet be afraid of it for ourselves? I just want to come back to that thing of fear because that fear is what keeps us from being vulnerable. That fear drives so much of our behavior. There's something you mentioned in one of your books that I really enjoyed, which was the spirit of the dancing warrior. Um, which is one of your older books, but you talk about headspace and heart space in there, you know, extensively just when we're operating from headspace and when we're operating um, from, from that place of heart space. I was curious if you could just explain, because I think it ties a little bit back to, to this idea of fear, which coaches are so afraid of losing their team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh I'm going to do something that's rarely done on these podcasts. And uh, I'm going to direct your question to another person. Uh, Nate, you, uh, what JP is asking me, I've admired in you. And I have seen that. I have seen video and I have seen you working. And 
and I've heard the conversations that you've had. And uh, so, so JP, you're asking about the headspace and the heart space. What, what is your thoughts about that? How do you, how do you see that? Well, I wasn't prepared to be interviewed here, Jerry. So here I am being put no, on the spot. But <laughs> that's right. I'm breaking the mold, you know, because yeah. this is a this is a conversation, and and I'm I'm brought in as the expert, and and if if I'm going to be the expert, then I need to be an expert at being open and 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 giving, and 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 so what I'm saying, and I mean this from my heart. Uh, I admire the work that you've done. I, you know, you're one of the coaches that I talk about. What is it about your heart versus your head? And, 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 and how can that, because you're out there in the trenches. Yeah, I, I don't know how to explain it very well, but maybe I can use an anecdote here. Um, you know, I haven't caught up for a while, but uh, I lost my head coaching job in the uh, winter last year. And so I'm a, an assistant coach for one of my friends here in the area. And you talk about impermanence, you know, we mentioned that at the very beginning here that, you know, change is inevitable, right? And um, one of the reflective exercises or requirements, I guess, for myself from going from being a head coach for 18 years to, you know, being an assistant coach for the first time is really asking myself a lot of questions about, about what is it about me, um, the best me that is brought out in coaching uh, in other words, do I have to be a head coach to feel like I can be the, the best version of me, if that makes sense? Oh, absolutely. And so, and so as I've thought about that, you know, I start to think about, well, what do I enjoy more than anything else when it comes to coaching? And it's the connection with kids. It's connecting to players. It's, you know, being able to build into their lives and, and you know, use basketball as a way to, to be able to teach them things about how the brain works and their emotions and, you know, all kinds of things that hopefully will help them to to grow and to continue into their lives long, long past basketball. And so as I've thought through some of those things, you know, I, I've come to realize that there's a lot of those roots that are really deep in, you know, my heart of coaching that I can pursue as an assistant coach, whether I'm the one writing the scouting report or leading the practice or, you know, the first one to communicate in a huddle. A lot of those things I've realized are secondary for me because it's really about the connection with with the player and with the person. And so I've been really fortunate that the coach that I'm working with has given me the opportunity to have one-on-ones throughout the year with players and to be able to, uh, you know, carve time out to connect with them and try to leverage, you know, some of my strengths in helping to build the team culture. And I do much more of that now with this group than worrying about a lot of the X's and O's and the scouting reports and things like that. And, and that feels full. It's not the same. Obviously, it's not the same as being you know, in the first chair. But at the same time, I think it's, uh, you know, through that process of just self-examination, looking back at my most fulfilling moments and looking ahead to how can I have moments like that in a different context, um, I guess in a way is trying to be true to, to what has always been in my heart when it comes to coaching. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's brought you right back there and you're having thoughts and I'm hearing these thoughts of, 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 really understanding and uh, maybe even being able to, oh, here's another term, boy, we could really open this up, uh, of great coaching, which is compassion. And having compassion uh, for as you lead. And compassion doesn't stop in the first seat. It's right down the line. 
And compassion is something that Phil Jackson uh, talks about in his coaching, in his book, 11 Rings, where, and, and Steve Kerr, actually, he, one of his core values is compassion with the team. Uh, it's what really made things happen. Without compassion, there would be no championships. And uh, what's interesting is uh, my head is spinning with so many things that, that both of you were saying in a good way. I mean, you stimulated me like crazy. Uh, um, I should be writing a lot of this down. But, but I, I know that in ancient times, I, I tend to lean on a lot of wisdom from the ancient books. And, and I know that uh, the head coach of the ancient warriors, who is the leader of the tribe, uh, a lot of these different uh, organizations in, in you know, 2,000 years ago or 1,000 years ago, they would make it a rule that the top gun, the top, the leader of the whole pack uh, would have to serve as a warrior for a year or six months on purpose. So, you know, it's like, okay, I walk into a dojo, I have a black belt on, you know, I'm, a, I'm, I'm like the guy, right? I got everything I need, uh, a black belt, maybe a third degree Dan back belt. What I need to do is take that black belt off and put a white belt on, which is a beginner's belt and walk into another dojo and feel what it's like to be a beginner again. Or, or to not be the top person and to see it from that through those eyes and to understand uh, what assistant coaches are going through so that when I become that head coach again, I'll have a better understanding and more compassion and, and I'll be a better head coach for my assistants, which is really uh, something that we learn. And you've been put in that situation, Nate. Uh, one of the things that comes through in your comment and JP's indirectly is the concept of love. And uh, that, that, that's a concept that a lot of coaches uh, shy away from because they're, they're afraid of it, you know? And of course, by love, I'm not talking about uh, uh, romantic love. I'm just talking about really deep connection, as you say, that word connection and caring. But I, if you don't mind, I wanna read you a quote. I'm, I'm taking this out of Win the Day. Uh, it's about team building. And here's a quote uh, from Jackson. It takes a number of critical factors to win an NBA championship. It takes talent. I don't think he would have won much without Kobe and, and Shaq and, 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 and Michael and, and uh, Scotty and all these guys. It says it takes talent. It takes creativity. It takes a certain IQ. It, it takes toughness, resilience, and even some luck. But if a team doesn't have the most essential ingredient, none of those factors matter. None of them, because nothing's going to, no championship will be won. And that, and that factor is, is love. That's, that's what he says, it's love. And then going back, as I was referring to, uh, 2,500 years ago, Sunza, and for those of our listeners who wonder who Sunza is, S-U-N-T-Z-U, uh, he wrote the book, The Art of War which is the most highly read book of all leaders uh, in all disciplines ever. It's the second most widely read book uh, behind uh, the Bible, okay? And in that book, he says, 
uh, he emphasized the importance of love for success. He says, Taoist uh, generals, uh, leaders uh, care for their troops as, as they would take care of a child who was loved. He says, by loving others, the chances of victory are greatly enhanced. Then I remember listening to Steve with Seth Curry coming off the bench and Steve giving him something, you know, whispering something in his ear. And then he goes, pats him on the bat, back and, and on his butt. And he says, I love you, big guy. You know, it's like when I feel loved and I feel cared for, I'm going to go the distance. I remember meeting for the first time Dean Smith, Coach Smith, University of North Carolina, an icon. I walked into his office and sat down. We had a meeting for 45 minutes. I felt so loved and so cared for. He made me feel like I was the most important person in his life. And I know that's not true intellectually, but my heart felt that I was the most important person. And who am I? Jerry Lynch. I mean, he didn't know me from Adam, you know? And, and he just the way he talked to me and, and how he respected and, and, and trusted and, and how vulnerable he was with me. And, and I walked out of that, that meeting. Now, make believe I'm his athlete, right? So I'm his athlete. I would have done anything he asked. I would have licked the floor of the dust if, if, if the floor was dirty, you know? And he said, I needed the floor clean because we have to practice. That's, I would have done anything for him. And uh, I had tears in my eyes and uh, I was inspired. And my inspiration within a year led to the publishing of my book, uh, Coaching with Heart. And, and, and so this is what great coaches do. They love, they connect, they care. And you don't have to do it as the head coach. In fact, so many athletes tell me it's their assistant coach who they really work for, who they work so hard for. And uh, there's a lot of great, amazing assistant coaches. And what they do is they, de they define the role of, of what that's going to be and, and, and how they can help in many ways to, to develop the full development of the capacity of the human being. I'm so glad I asked you that question. And I'm sorry, I, I, I didn't realize I put you on the spot, but the, the conversation seems real comfortable uh, to go back and forth. So. <laughs> Let me uh, follow that up with another um, question here that I think is related. And this is another line from Phil Jackson's uh, Sacred Hoops, where he, he's got some commentary in, uh, you know, on Buddhism and kind of that Zen mindset here. And he links compassion um, to awareness. And he says, awareness is the seed of compassion. As we begin to notice ourselves and others just as we are, without judgment, compassion flows naturally. Mm -hmm. I wonder if you could just explain a little bit of how those things are related, awareness and compassion. It's all one. It's, it's all one. It, it's not like I'm going to have compassion today, but not have awareness, or I'm going to have awareness without it. It, one leads to the other. It's, it's more circular, not linear. And, and, and so I often talk about this in, in our meeting, in our, in our wonderful conference in, in Boulder, Colorado, several years ago, which is your awareness. The power of, in order to have influence, now, we want to we have influence, don't we? I mean, I ask a thousand coaches, yes or no? Thumbs up thumbs down. You, ne you need to have influence. Yes, of course we need to have influence. But the question is, to your point, do you have the awareness, the mindfulness 
to know that you have the power of influence because I can walk into a room. And, and by the way, I love this phrase. Your influence is never neutral. You know, uh, so if you were sitting there like this with your eyes closed, you would be influencing me, but you're not. You're sitting there with your eyes open like this. You got a smile on your face. You're really engaged. That's influencing me. The, the idea of being aware is so important. So I walk into a room and I know right from the get-go as a coach, as your coach, that I could light this experience up or I can cast it into darkness or some other place along that continuum. Light it up, darkness, somewhere in between, but I'm going to influence you. And the more often, the more I am aware of the power of that influence, the more I have a say in the outcome. So it's an easy buy-in if you understand that it's being mindful of your power, not power over somebody, but power to, power to influence. That's a very important distinction. I either have, as a great coach, I want to have power to, I want to have power with you. Together, we create something. I want to have power within, but I don't want to have power over. You know, it was, uh, it was the great guitarist, uh, Jimi Hendrix. I love music and, and I love him, his music. Uh, Jimi Hendrix once said, when the power of love is more in power is more important than the love of power, we'll all be better off because of it. And to which I add, we'll be better coaches because of it. So the, so many coaches wanna have power over people, you know? And uh, I wanna have power to work with you. I wanna have the power to influence you. I wanna have the power with you to create something much bigger than any one of us individually. Uh, so they're all intertwined. So, so, you know, in my new book, uh, The Competitive Buddha, a big part of it is on leadership. And there's a whole section in there. It's called uh, Leading with the Strength of Ten Tigers. And uh, what that refers to is how mindfulness, how, how mindful leadership is the key. You know, it's, it's the Buddha heart. That's everything we're talking about. Openness being authentic, being genuine, being vulnerable, having integrity, trusting, respecting, caring, connection. That's the Buddha heart. And, and, and when you have that, uh, there's a mindfulness about that. And, and one thing leads to another. If you're mindful, you're going to have compassion. If you're compassionate, you'll be mindful. And so it's, they're all interrelated. You need to you need to have you need to be mindful. You need to be aware. So so there's an awareness. And uh, one of the best ways to be aware for a coach is to say nothing and to listen and ask questions to get information that makes you more aware. So I have a nice acronym. It's called love L-U-V. Since we're talking about love, it's L-U-V, though. L, L is to listen. Try this with your your loved ones and friends. L is listen. So I'm going to listen. And, and U is understand by asking questions. And V is to validate. You know, so I say, Nate, wow, 
that's a fantastic point. You know, the point you're making is really relevant. It's important. And uh, I can say, JP, you know, I really value the work you're doing. You know, it's really making an impact on so many people by having this podcast. You're really, you know, you bring me on, but you're the expert. What you're doing is you're choosing people to come into your world so that you can influence and have a positive influence on all those who are listening. You shared the story of your interaction with Dean Smith. And honestly, when I met you a few years back at the Way of Champions conference, I felt that. I felt that you were so invested. I, when, and I remember the very first conversation I had, you were in sandals and shorts, obviously. Um, <laughs> and it was incredible, but I can count on my hand. There's probably five people that I've had a convert. You're one of those five that of, of in my life that I've experienced that have created such an intense feeling when I, when I first initially met them or when I continue to meet them of as far as just what you said there, you're listening, you're asking questions, you're validating, you just feel love you feel a connection and my question for you is is that a, is that is this something you have developed over time is this a, is this a skill that you've worked on and how have you done that because I, I know i probably have made people feel a little bit of that but it's something you want to i want to give that feeling that you gave to me i want to give that to other people in my life not just athletes my coaches, my, my children, my wife. That's something I want to continue to nurture and grow. Me too. Me too. Which answers your question. No, it's not natural. No, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't just happen. Like I'm this special person who has these qualities. I care about you so much that I want to find ways into your heart. So I'm constantly learning ways into your heart because if I can get into your heart, then we can change the world for you, your world. The thing about the Dean Smith interview or not, it wasn't an interview, it was just, just a conversation, is I felt, I felt important. I felt relevant. I felt valued. So when I walked out, I thought to myself, wow. This really changes my whole approach. I mean, I've always wanted to be helpful. I've been teaching, you know, I first walked into a classroom in 1964. I was teaching English literature and I was coaching basketball. Not nearly, and I mean this sincerely, not, not the level that Nate, you're, you're, you were coaching, but I was young and I was trying it and, and I was making a lot of mistakes. And I'm okay. So I'm always trying to be a better version of myself. And, and so when I walked out of the Dean Smith uh, conversation, he changed my why. So, so all of us out there who are listening to this conversation, I can't stress enough how important it is to really know why you're coaching. So when you met me, JP, I was very much aware that we go back to the word aware that Nate was talking about. I walk into a room, I'm aware of why I'm there. I'm not there to make money. I'm there to make a difference. That's my why. And the other part of my why is to master my craft. And what you're talking about is my craft. My craft is to coach. 
And in order to master coaching, I have to understand it's not about how much X's and O's I have and how well I can run a, an out-of-bounds play. My craft is all about the relationship game, and all the great coaches know this. It's about mastering the relationship game. So you don't have to be a psychologist to do this. All you have to do is want to influence other people, and the way you influence people is to connect from the heart. My why is to make a difference and to, and to master my craft. So it's a dual-edged thing. To your point, JP, is no, this, I, I was born and raised in Brooklyn, New York. Need I say anything else? I mean, really, you know, Brooklyn now has been regentified and it's a very different place. When I grew up there, there was a gang on every street corner. I mean, you never know if you're going to come home alive. I'm not kidding. I mean, it was really, really that bad. I mean, I remember teaching in the high school and, and I came out in the afternoon and all of the windows of my car were shattered. And it was a tough time. And, and so compassion, vulnerability, love, that's not something that I was brought up with. But what I wanted to do was I wanted to make a difference in the lives of other people. And that's my why. And once I got in touch with that, I could walk into a room and I could look at you, JP, and I could look at you, Nate. And I could say, you know what? What's important here is that I serve. So I'm a servant. And, and then we get back into the whole thing of servant leadership, which is what I talk a lot about in the book, The Competitive Buddha. Anyway, my whole attitude is, is how can I best serve you? Well, I can't best serve you if I'm going to talk at you or I'm not going to find a way into your heart. And by that, I mean, like, just really care for you. And these are ways you can connect. Uh, you could uh, use what I call the river effect. I talk about that in my book, Win the Day. And I talk about it in the, the, the next one, The Competitive Buddha. You know what, the, I, wanna, I wanna marinate you guys in the river. I wanna, I, wanna, I wanna soak you in the river. Now, that's an acronym for me. So I walk into a room, I'm thinking river. And river stands for relevant, important, valued, empowered, and respected. Now, everyone listening to this, be honest. Be honest with me. When you feel relevant, when someone makes you feel important, when you have felt valued, and you have felt empowered and inspired and respected, what is your behavior like in terms of when someone that makes you feel that way, what are you willing to do for that person? It answers itself. All right. We'll be back in our next episode with Jerry to talk about the competitive Buddha, his new book. In the meantime, if you'd like to get our very detailed coaching notes to this episode and to every episode of the podcast, you can get those each week by subscribing to the TOC newsletter. To subscribe, you just need to visit the top link in the details of this episode or go to thriveonchallenge.com and subscribe there. Also, there will be links to Jerry's details as well as his book, Win the Day and the Competitive Buddha within those coaching notes and the details of this episode.